Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We put the pastors in places where they don't belong in, in many churches. All right, go ahead and say amen. Y'all know y'all want to do it anyway. Y'all like, amen. Amen. You're going to say it anyway. And we put them in places where they don't belong. And, and at the same time, again, the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. The pastor is no better than anybody else. The pastorate, listen, is an office in the church that God calls a man to. I am just like everybody else. Just like every other man, just God called me to this position, to this office of the pastor. And yes, you should respect that office. But true leaders are servants. They serve the people. And at the same time, you know, I think the church, and look, they've gone to the other end of the pendulum in a lot of churches, and especially a lot of churches that I seem to speak in, I tend to notice this. That people go to the other end of the pendulum. So the pastor is, is, is not like, you know, everybody else. I mean, the pastor, you know, he's, well, he's like everybody else. He's just a man. But, 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 you know, they, they, somehow they go to the other end of the pendulum and they start treating him like he's kind of one of them. Now there's a difference. Listen, I, I do think we need to give honor to whom honor is due. I do think we need to understand that the pastor is just a man, just like everybody else. But we also need to understand that the pastor is not like one of them. He's not just like the sheep. He's a shepherd. And the shepherd can't be one of the sheep. Otherwise, he can't be the shepherd. He can't be the shepherd and the sheep at the same time. And the shepherd should be leading the sheep not hanging out with the sheep and moving along with the sheep because if the shepherd follows the sheep, everybody going to fall off a cliff because y'all don't know what you're doing. Now you can yell amen right there. Amen. Amen, amen. Y'all don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going, so you need a shepherd to lead you. So a shepherd can't become one of the sheep either. And sometimes I see in a lot of the churches where the shepherd becomes like one of the sheep. And so people are walking around calling the shepherd by his first name. Now listen, y'all know, I've already, we've gone over this already. All right. This is my own personal rule. If you're not at least 18, you may not call me Rodney. Um, you know, if, if you're grown, you may call me Rodney. That's fine. That's no problem. I don't have a problem with that. I don't, you know, just don't call me Reverend. I don't like that. That's just kind of, kind of, people send me mail like Reverend Rodney Finch. I'm like, oh, they don't know me. They, 
They don't, they obviously, this is not, this is junk mail. They definitely don't know me. But, 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 you know, because, you know, and, and, and I'm not, a, I'm not one of your homies either. I remember I went to a church re- recently, actually, and, uh, wow, I'm giving that away. I haven't been two places. <laughs> only been two places, and, uh, recently, and, uh, and they, they was calling the pastor, hey, what's up, homie town? I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not your homie either. Don't call me homie. Don't misunderstand me. I, I, I don't think I'm anything. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm bigger than you. I don't think I'm better than you. I don't think that God's got some special call on my life that he doesn't on you. But somehow I do believe in authority. I do believe in respect. I do believe that there's got to be some kind of order. I don't think. I, I think there's got to be some kind of order. And you got to start that ideology when kids are kids. Let me tell you something. My kids, I brought my kids up. No, you do not call that adult by their first name. I'm from the old school, y'all. Where you at? Where my people at? You don't call them by their first name. Nowadays, kids are like, hey, how you doing, Rodney? Hey, what's up, Elvira? Excuse me? (laughs) That's great. That's great. Then for those of you who didn't hear, they said, where's the shoe? So if you were here on Sunday, then you know about the shoe. And uh, the shoe's coming. <laughs> no. There's got to be some lines of respect there. And I think when you start at that age to establish in kids' mind that, you know, you're not on that same level, you don't call them by their first name, it helps them to understand authority. It helps them to understand that they're not on an adult level. And it helps them to stay in the place of a child because a child needs to go through the stages of growth just like everybody else in order for them to become healthy. And if it was good enough for you, how come it's not good enough for them? And I think the part of the problem is, I think, is that we're, we're, we're becoming too uh, friendly with our children. And we're trying to be our child's friend. Listen, don't try to be your child's friend. Listen, you're going to be happy you came tonight. Get this. Do not. Even if you don't have children, then just write this down and use it when you do have kids. Don't try to become your child's friend. Don't ever try to become their friend. Always seek to become their parent. And if you find yourself in a place where you are their parent, that they understand that's mom and that's dad. I've seen some kids calling their mom and dad. And if you're here tonight, listen, I'm not condemning you or nothing like that. I just, me personally, I just don't agree with that. Where kids are calling their parents by their first names. I'm sorry, I just don't agree with that. That's all. Don't come up to me after service trying to tell me all this. I, I got you, okay? I just don't, I don't agree with that. Because mom is mom and dad is dad. And we're not friends. Don't get me. We're not friends. Listen, I have ha- asked my kids. <laughs> Ask them. I have to- I'm not your friend. I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm trying to be your father. Because if I can be your father, guess what will happen? We'll wind up friends. But if we start off being friends, we're going to have a respect issue there. And then I'm going to have to take off the shoe. (laughs) 
<laughs> you see? So, so we, we, we got to keep those lines of, of, of respect and we, we, we've got to keep those, uh, that, that, that position of, uh, of, of order. God is a God of order. Now, now, I want you to notice, I got a map up for you, as you've already noticed. I want you to notice the Sheep Gate. Now, I realize that that map may be a little bit difficult for you to understand. And if I was a little more prepared, I'd have a pointer, but I don't. So um, you're going to have to see this. But the first gate mentioned, remember, Nehemiah has gone to Jerusalem to build the walls and the gates because they are torn down and they have been burned down. If you got that, say Amen. So now here is a map of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. When he gets there, um, he's there to, of course, work on the walls and work on the gates. The first gate that's mentioned in the Bible is what gate, saints? The sheep gate. And I want you to see the sheep gate, because I want you to see some order here. And that's why I want this map to stay here for the rest of the evening. Um, I want you to notice the sheep gate is right about... 12 o'clock or maybe like one minute after 12. Can y'all see? If you can see it, say amen. Okay, the sheep gate is about one minute after 12. So that's the first gate that's mentioned. The first step, listen, in our spiritual progress is the sheep gate. Many times when the shepherds, get this, when the shepherds were out herding their sheep, they didn't have corrals and, 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 and they would stop and, and, and seek to find a place to rest and, and find a place to sleep. And so they look for enclosed areas. They look for a cave or a canyon or someplace narrow. Uh, when the shepherd or when the sheep settled in, the shepherd would then lay across the opening of that area. So the only way for somebody to get to the sheep is to cross over the shepherd or to go through the shepherd. Are you getting me? No sheep could get out and no, she- or no stranger could get in. Now the Bible teaches, listen, nobody can get into the sheepfold of God without going through who? Jesus the shepherd. John chapter 10, I do have that verse I want to show you. Uh, John chapter 10 uh, in verse 7 through 10 tells us, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all whoever came before me are thieves and what saints? Robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus himself says that he's the door. He's like that shepherd laying across that entrance to keep strangers out and to keep the sheep in. Notice also the sheep gate was called the sheep gate. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. The sheep gate was called the sheep gate because the people brought the sheep through this gate that were going to be sacrificed. Before the lamb was offered, it had to be inspected for spots or blemishes. And when the lamb was accepted, the person offering the lamb would lay his hand on the head of the lamb, which was a sign of identification and transfer, and the transferring of the sins of that person onto the lamb, and then the lamb would be killed. And the same thing is true of our salvation. When we get saved, you enter in through the sheep gate, into the sheep fold, through God, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the shepherd, the lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. He was inspected and found to be a lamb without spot, without blemish, and our sins are transferred onto him. It's also significant that the sheep gate is the first gate repaired. The sheep gate represents our salvation. And without the ability to offer sacrifice, there is no salvation. So the sheep gate would naturally be the first gate to be repaired. 
Notice the next gate to be repaired, according to Scripture in verse 3, is, look at your Bibles, in verse 3, is the fish gate. Now, the fish gate is called the fish gate because the fishermen from the Sea of Galilee would bring their catch through this gate to be sold. The fish gate represents, write this down, evangelism. So the sheep gate represents salvation. The fish gate represents evangelism and soul winning and sharing of your faith. I think of Jesus who said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. It's a natural progress after you or natural progression after you realize that Jesus died for you, that you become a Christian and you've entered into the sheepfold. Then it's only natural that you want to share and tell other people about your faith. You know, I was reading a survey that said believers who have been saved for less than two years win the most people to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Believers who have been saved for less than two years win the most people to the Lord. You know, it's true. Sharing your faith should be as natural as breathing. And I hear the people say from time to time, they'll say, you know, I don't... Um, I'm not big on evangelism or, you know, I don't tell people about my faith and, you know, I'm just not one of those kind of people. I'm not so sure I really understand that because sharing your faith should be as natural as breathing. It, it should be as natural as you saw a good movie and you, you get out the theater and you dialing up, blowing up people's phones. You got to get over here and see this movie is great. Or you have a place, a good dinner, and you go, hey, we got to go to this place. i got to tell you what, we just left a great place. If when you experience something that's, that's great, you want to tell people about it, amen? And so I don't understand when people say that, you know, they're not one to go out and share their faith. I think of words of Jesus. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And people say, oh, well, religion is a personal thing. You know, I'm glad that Jesus didn't think religion was a personal thing. I'm glad that Paul didn't think religion was a personal thing. Peter didn't think it was a personal thing. They shared their faith even in the face of persecution. So we need to be sharing our faith. And I think that when God is coming to your life, listen, and he has done something miraculous and powerful in your life, I, I honestly believe it's like what Jeremiah said. It's like fire shut up in my bones. He said it's like fire shut up in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he said, his word was like unto me as fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding back. Paul the apostle said, but woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For the word of God was so real to Jeremiah, and the word of God was so real to Paul and Peter and, and John. Uh, I think of Acts chapter 4, where they were told you, you shouldn't go share your faith and don't tell anybody about you know, what's happening with Jesus and this man being healed and don't tell anybody about it. And they said, King, whether it's right to you or whatever you think about it, it matters not. They said, but we cannot help but preach the things that we have seen and that we have heard. You know, it's interesting that Peter and John were told not to tell anybody and they told everybody. And Jesus tells us to tell everybody and we don't tell anybody. Isn't that true? Now notice in verse 5 in your Bibles. Look at verse 5. It's an interesting statement in verse 5. Next to Zadok in verse 4 and 5. Next to Zadok, the Tekoites made repairs. 
but their nobles did not put their, are you getting that? Shoulders to the work of the Lord. Now, this could mean that they physically did not get out there and do the work. They were lazy. Or it could mean they were rich and influential. They were nobles, but they didn't financially support the work. Or it could mean both. They were rich, influential, lazy, and did not financially support the work. The idea in the Hebrew language is that they wouldn't submit. Very interesting here is that they wouldn't submit. They would not bend their necks to the Lord and what he wanted them to do. So the real issue with these guys was that of submission. Maybe they thought that they had a better plan. Maybe they didn't like how Nehemiah was doing it and they had a better way, which is usually the way it goes. Nobody was doing, get this, nobody was doing anything. Nehemiah was with the king, serving with the king as a king's cupbearer, and the city was burned, and the gates were burned, and nobody was doing anything until Nehemiah shows up. He is clearly called by God to go to Jerusalem to do that work. He arrives there, and he says, okay, guys, let's roll up our sleeves, and let's get busy. And now there are men who mumble and complain. And they don't like the way Nehemiah is doing it. They think they could do it better. If they think they can do it better, then why didn't they do it better before Nehemiah showed up? Now, there's a sermon in there somewhere, but we're just going to leave that, all right? Either way, for whatever reason, listen, they lose on so many levels because they're missing out on the blessings of God and serving the Lord, and they're missing out on receiving the blessings for serving the Lord, and they're missing the blessings of seeing the fruit of serving the Lord. Perhaps these nobles didn't have time to get out there and do the work, but they could have financially made it possible for others to go and do the work. Listen, God's going to hold them accountable for that. And the thing that they're seeking to hold on to slips right between your fingers. The Bible says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Interesting, the word section is used 13 times in this chapter. The wall was divided and people were assigned a certain section. In other words, no one person can construct the wall by themselves. When God calls you, God calls you to work on a certain part in the kingdom, and that's your part to do and nobody else's. Are you listening? And that's the problem. Everybody wants to do what somebody else is supposed to be doing. You know what I've said in the past? Run in your lane. When you don't run in your lane, guess what happens? You have an accident. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. You know what? I'm going to tell you this, and we'll be talking about this probably for the rest of the time that we're in Nehemiah. We obviously need a bigger sanctuary. Obviously, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Miss Betty. I'll preach to you. We need a bigger sanctuary. We really do. I mean, you know, we're, I'm not of the kind that some people say, build it and they will come. That's not me. I'm not like that. You know, let's build a 1,500-seat sanctuary, and they will come. Let's build a 2,000-seat sanctuary, and they will come. For me, it's build it after they come. It's profound, isn't it? It's just it's deep. But it's right. I think, you know, here we are, five services a week. For me, five services a week. Um, I can't, honestly, I don't even know how I do it. 
I, I generally, like right now, I'm not tired. Um, you know, tomorrow, don't talk to me. But, but, but right now, I'm not tired. Uh, it usually takes a day or two to recover, and then, you know, I get back at it, get back at studying, and I enjoy it. I, I love it. I love the ministry. I love preaching. Uh, anytime that God gives me an opportunity to preach, love it. I'm going to do it. It's great. But, you know, it would be nice if, if I could do less of it here and had a bigger sanctuary where we didn't have to have uh, multiple services and that the rate that the church continues to grow, I mean, when will that stop? I mean, look at this Wednesday night. This is, this is a packed service. Now, if we're this full here, the children's ministry you have to consider as well, where they are probably as packed as they can be on a Wednesday night or need to be on a Wednesday night and as they are prepared for. And so we need to build a bigger sanctuary uh, for the glory of God. And not everybody can do it all, but I'm going to wait while you clap your hands right there. Will you do it? And, and, not, and not everybody can, can, can give, you know, a lot of money, you know, but everybody can do something. You know, not everybody can give, you know, $10,000, but some of you can. Uh, some of you can give $10, and some can give $100, and some can give $10,000, and some can even give $100,000. I was recently told of a brother whose father passed away and left, um, and they lived, the, the father had like four shirts and two pair of pants, and the mother lived, they lived a very mean, menial lifestyle, and, and the mom would say, you know, well, we need to get this, and dad would say we didn't have money. Well, then the father passed away, and, and, and the children went into the house, of course, and go through the files and go into everything. And turns out that, 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 that this guy's net worth was like two and a half million dollars. Two and a half million dollars. And it's like, look, that's a lot of money. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. I don't think just because you have two and a half million dollars, you need to spend two and a half million dollars. But I am saying... Wouldn't that money have been better if you were to send it ahead? Wouldn't that money have been better if you had invested in at least some of it into the kingdom? And, and live a menial life, whatever God is showing you, but let's not be storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth. When we die, all of your assets, are you listening? All of your assets are going to remain right in that drawer for somebody else to come along and to do whatever it is that they feel they want to do with it. We need to give to the work of the Lord and give to the building of the kingdom of God. In verses 6 through 12, the work is going along and people are excited. We get to the second gate. I got to speed up. We get to the second gate. You'll notice on the map, the second gate, you want to go to the left. So you want to kind of go uh, to the left. The next gate is called the old gate. It's the old gate, but it's also known as, or put it this way, I really couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get clear on this. So here's what I think. I think that there were two gates there. I think one was called the old gate and the other was called Ephraim's gate. Now here, I want to say on this map, I got to get this close, y'all. On this map, so we have the sheep gate, the fish gate, and on this map, it says Ephraim's gate. You see it? I believe Ephraim's gate is also called the old gate 
or there were two gates located in that same area. Two gates located in that area. Uh, Ephraim means double fruitful or doubly fruitful. The old gate next to Ephraim gate begins a long valley. On a modern day map, it's called the Valley of the Cheesemakers. Now, if you've been to Israel with us, you have been in this valley. We will take a trip in, Jan in January 2013 and we'll ride through right alongside this valley, the wall of the Valley of the Cheesemakers. It runs right through the center of the old city of Jerusalem, the old gate. And if you notice on the map, you'll see there's like a, uh, there's like a little dotted line that goes down. I need a point. It's so bad. There's a dotted line that goes down and it goes through. You, you'll see it right down there. It says, I'm colorblind, so I can't help y'all there. But it says, old city of David. You see that? So that is the Valley of the Cheesemakers. It's a really long valley, the, 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 and it runs right through the center of the old city. The old gate, Ephraim's gate, speaks of the old ways of truth or foundational truth. Notice the progress. We are called like sheep, and we are in the sheepfold. We are caught like fish, and we are evangelizing and telling others. And when you're saved, the first few weeks is like a honeymoon. Being a Christian is the best thing ever. You're excited in love with God. You love the church. You love worship. You love to get the church on time. Somebody say amen. amen. Uh, <laughs> you, you need some help at Dorton Arena? I'm there. I'm helping. You're a volunteer. Well, then the honeymoon's over and the scales are off your eyes. And now in the Christian life, everything's not all rosy. Now you see the truth. Now you see the Christian life in reality. You start to think, is this salvation thing really real? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a song.